Welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Simon. And I'm Stuart. We talk every week about the reality of running property businesses. Stuart runs a portfolio of co-living properties with a six-figure turnover and also has a property investment consultancy. And Simon has a number of buy-to-lets and runs Patma, which is a leading portfolio manager and software system and a source of property market insights. And this week, we are going to be talking a little bit about property market insights and, and stats and interesting things. Before we dig into that, though, let me just remind you that you can find the subscribe link to our fantastic email mailing list in the show notes below this video, if you're looking at the video, or on thebusinessofproperty.com. And we will start sending out emails to that list very soon, and they will be fantastic emails, I'm very sure. Now, with that, with that done... I think we are going to get back to stats and the market and the property market specifically. And I think I'm just going to kick us off with a, with a headline one. We saw a headline recently where Rightmove was, was shouting about the fact that this year's, well, last year's now, Boxing Day was the, the biggest day for Boxing Day listings. And I dare say they were, were quite correct about that. However, if you actually look at the number of new listings per week over the Christmas period, they were obviously very low. Nobody was doing very much over the Christmas period. And even the first full week of January, they were also still very low, below 20,000 new for sale property listings in the week compared to sort of a more normal figure last summer of around 30,000 per week. So what, what do you think of that, Stuart? It's almost like... Someone in the marketing department has got hold of some numbers and used it for awareness gain. I'm sure nobody in the marketing department would ever do anything like that. <laughs> well, yeah, being someone that has worked with and for and as a marketeer, I completely agree. We'd never use uh, data or information to try and persuade something, someone to, to take an action. But... Yeah, I thought it was really interesting when you when you mentioned that stat to me because I think that's you know we're seeing the truth there because we know that the the, the property portals are trying to to get everyone re-engaged after Christmas because they've seen a dip pre-Christmas and what better way than to get people to start doing it on Boxing Day and as we spoke very briefly about before we hit record I see this as a very much a a, a cyclic process in that you tell vendors, look, get your property back on and live in the market on Boxing Day. You know, it's brand new, it's fresh. And then, you you know, you get that. So then you can tell potential buyers, you know, go onto the site on Boxing Day because we've got lots of fresh stuff coming on. It's just a cyclic process just to get more excitement and interest. And that is a, a marketing tool. But as your, you've, your tool has rightly shown us, actually, the numbers speak for themselves that uh, the market's slowed. Yeah, definitely. And taking a step sort of slightly sideways from the, the property market into something very anecdotal. But as someone who runs a, a website, namely Patma, that is very much frequented by people who are looking at property and looking into property, I thought it was very interesting that this December, the December just gone, was very different to the December before. In so much as I, I saw traffic levels on December 21, I try and get my years right, it's very confusing, they keep changing. And during that December, sort of traffic was gradually going down towards Christmas. And then very soon after Christmas, it did actually pick up again. 
So people were actually on Boxing Day or soon after thinking, oh, I know, I'll go and have a look at property. But this December, so December 22, traffic came down during December. It actually seemed to come down a bit more sharply. And then it did not recover over that Christmas week. Well, the the, the big reason for that, in, in my opinion, is obviously the COVID and you know, fewer people out doing the normal stuff at Christmas. Whereas I think what well, my experience was there's still a lot of illness and sickness around, but I, I would imagine that there was lots more gathering and events, Christmas events taking place, people traveling to and from than there were the previous year. And that, that would have a much bigger impact, I would have thought. Yep, I, I think you're absolutely right. And unfortunately, I didn't see this coming and, and planned a big marketing push in that week. So never mind. I was sucked in by all those, those Boxing Day will be great plans, but never mind. But one thing we do know is, uh, so just on the theme of house prices and uh, house listings, is we, we do know prices are going down. All of the indicators are telling us that in terms of what we're seeing on your portal, what we're seeing in various data sources. I mean, the... Uh, the, the, the data I've got on the three month versus previous three month is is looking looking pretty bleak for a for house prices. It's showing it as minus two percent on a three month versus three month period, and all the other indicators in terms of annual percentage change is on the downward trend. And uh, you're seeing the same, Simon, aren't you? In uh, in terms of listing prices, yep, very much so. The average price of new listings over the Christmas period, because the numbers were quite low, is a bit, bit weird, but it did, did seem to actually go up a little bit. But yes, now we're back into January and, and sort of a real property market. Those prices, new listing prices are, are definitely coming back down again. And yeah, it's, well, I, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to start making predictions at this point, but I think it is, is looking, as you say, fairly uh, negative in, in the short term, at least. Yeah. And obviously, the next step for us is we're thinking about, well, what does this mean to us if we're thinking about investing? And the other stat before we just get into how this translates to us as property investors, and and I think it's fairly obvious to most, but we can just have a chat around that as we do. But the other stat that that really surprised me, actually, now they, they don't always, but maybe it was because it was just 80 days, and I always think of around the world in 80 days, but the, the stat you were talking about previously, Simon, was that property is now on average on the market for 80 days pre-sale. Yep, indeed. And, and in actual fact, some properties are, are very definitely on the market for longer than that. Mm. So this is the, of, of properties that sell each week, this is taking all of those and looking at how long they were on the market. And currently, the, the average for that in the, the first full week in January was 80 days. And, and that's, that's a really long time for, for property to be hanging around on the market. And if we look back six months, that average was 30 days. And that, that was sort of back in July when people were saying it was a, a very busy, hot market. And, and of course, 30 days was, was selling very rapidly. And, and it's, yeah, now all the way up to 80 days. Which, as investors, these are all great indicators of a market that is now potentially swinging back in our favour because obviously the sword is always double-edged for property investors because if we, if we own properties, we, we want those prices to be nice and 
reasonable for us in terms of our equity share. But equally, if we're looking to invest, we want the right prices, which tends to mean lower, you, you know, and uh, good. So the, the fact that the property prices are going down and they're on the market for a long time means, in my world, opportunity. And this means, you know, there's, as always, I always think it's like uh, people think there's going to be a, a, you know, a half price sale of property all of a sudden, and there's going to be a glut of buyers. It's it's like a promotional activity in a supermarket. It's not quite like that, because I think a lot of the market will run as normal. Roll up, roll up, get your property in the January sales. <laughs> exactly. I think, I think in our minds, that's where we go. Well, I certainly where I go. Like, oh, lovely. I'm going to roll up my sleeves, get ready for this sale and, you know, get my uh, sharp elbows out to get to the front of this queue. It's not quite like that because, of course, most people want to sell their property for the right price, as they should. But what it does mean is that we've got a few indicators. And the first thing I think about is that if someone's on the market right now, they probably want to sell. And that, that sounds like a, a stupid thing to say, but I mean, really want to sell. Because if I had a property to sell right now, my wife and I were speaking about something, actually, you know, we, we have a flat, which we're not quite ready to sell because we're trying to um, wait for the uh, early redemption period to um, to complete. But there is a possibility we could sell it. And she, she was saying, oh, could we put it on the market? And I said, you know what? Right now probably isn't the right time. I just want to see what's happening with the market. I don't want to undervalue the property. And equally, I've got a property in uh, Croydon, which, uh, and I think we spoke about this before, but we, we've had to lop 10% off that value. So my business partner and I are looking at and saying, well, actually, maybe we'll just sit this one out for another year or so. But the point I'm making here is that, so we're in a situation where we're saying, actually, let's hold fire. Let's um, let's keep our powder dry and let's just see what, what happens with the market. It could plateau. So those people that are putting properties on the market definitely want to sell. Tick. That's really good. Yeah, exactly. In a in a, in a buoyant upward market, people think, well, I'm not I'm not quite sure if I want to sell, but let's have a punt. Put, put it on the market, and and if I get a really good offer, then well, may as well. But but yeah, as you say, in, in a less buoyant, perhaps downward market. It's, it's only the people who actually really want to sell because they, they know that six months ago it was probably worth more. So, so why now sell it at less unless you actually really need to? Yeah. And I think the other element is the, um, you know, and we know it's an average, the 80 days to sell. However, that is a good indication if you're in a situation where you know you can come in and purchase quite quickly and you lead with that sort of information that's a really good ability as well to have in your in your back pocket. Now, that all being said, as as investors, it's, it's potentially a good market to think about buying. But then my mind, Simon, then goes to if I'm buying with a mortgage, we know that the interest rate has continued to rise. And we think on the 2nd of February will rise again. The, the general opinion is, you know, 4% which seems reasonable given the increases we've had before. So that, that can prove challenging for a lot of us, less so when I'm thinking about my HMO portfolio and purchasing HMO because we, we've always, I suppose this is the benefit of always having to pay high interest rates because historically I've, I've paid around 5%, typically more, 529 actually, 
I've typically paid on HMO. So we we are not outside of that ballpark. But I know that it's had quite a significant change, uh, quite a significant impact on those buy to let investors in certain areas. Because if you're getting something for two or three percent, and I know that's now, it's very different to to four or four and a half, five percent. I think think five percent is pretty optimistic, even even on a buy to let mortgage these days. Mm. So yeah, it's you're right. I mean, it's a huge difference for buy to let investors, especially if you're buying in your own names. You've got tax impacts to worry about as well. Yeah, looking at a, a mortgage of six percent, perhaps stress tested at higher than that, seven eight percent on the stress test as well, reduces the loan to value you can get, and and just makes the whole purchasing effort much harder if you're you're doing it with a mortgage and that's before you even get on to mortgage surveyors coming out and being pessimistic with their valuations as well so so yes i think buying with a mortgage at the moment is is definitely challenging and that that is of course the sort of the the counterweight to the fact that this is a, a good market to be trying to buy in so it's really really makes cash buyers very powerful in this market i think they're they're clearly in the best position yeah i think if you've got cash money and you want to invest it's looking like this is the right time i keep hearing the word banded around recession and we know this is a a a financial indicator in terms of you know quarter on quarter growth no growth that kind of thing so recession immediately fills most of us with sort of doom and gloom whereas actually the world hasn't changed a lot it's just these financial indicators are telling us that we shouldn't be happy anymore and that uh, the world's going to be a bad place to live in so I, I try not to use that word too often but that that's what's that's what we're talking about that's what's going to change sentiment that's probably what's going to support the argument that we are going into a downward trend downward spiral with property but as as investors this is a good this is a good, potentially a good time to be thinking about the next purchase purchases if we're in positions to do so. Yep. I only need to wait for, for prices in my, my target area to drop by about 70% and I'll be right there as a cash buyer. Well, that was the next thought I had in my mind. Not that the prices in this area are going to drop by 70%, but as investors, when the area stops to work like it is, and it has done for you in the past, at what point do you start considering a new area? And is it something you've considered? It is in the past. I have definitely toyed with the idea of trying to invest in a, a cheaper area and perhaps using a, a property sourcer in that area or even property packager that would do the sourcing and then the, the renting and, and managing and everything else. However, currently, even though now is sort of a, a good time to be looking at that sort of strategy, I think probably, I've really come around to the idea that I want to to stick with the area that I know and the the properties that I know and indeed with self-management or at least the option of self-management because they're local. So so right now I'm actually not considering that at all. How, how about you, Stuart? Have you, I mean, you, you already invest very remotely. Have you considered other areas? I It crosses my mind every so often with regards to diversification, you know, I am heavily invested in one area in the southwest. Although currently I do have one property in central London and one in greater London. So that 
makes me feel a little bit more comfortable, although both of those will be sold at some stage within the next sort of two or three years, unless we can work it out. So, yes, I do think about it. And I, and it's interesting because I suppose, although I like to think, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd change areas at the drop of a hat, I do think like you, which is I've, I know what I'm doing. I know what the property types are. I'm very comfortable when I walk around a house or I even see it from the front. I know whether I like it or not. I have the existing connections in that area in terms of builders, plumbers, electricians, letting agents, and so on, which does mean that there's a bit of a barrier to moving to new areas. But I think if you're used to investing in, say, you know, London or the Southeast, now those areas could be affected by, you know, the next year or 18 months in terms of prices. And I do know, interestingly, about some, some people in the north where they bought properties back in the early 2000s. And those properties dropped in value significantly following the, you know, the, the, the credit crisis in 2008, 2009, and still haven't reached those previous levels. So I say London and the southeast, but I'm always sort of reticent to do that because I know each area can be impacted quite greatly depending on the prices. So there's part of me that would look at north, northeast, northwest, although northwest particularly based on my experiences last year, was such a frothy market. You, you know, it's, um, it was very hard to buy something that, that would work. Yeah, I, I think looking at the, the stats, a lot of the northern, a lot of the more northern areas, both east and west, did see very big and very rapid price increases last year. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah it was clearly a difficult market to buy in there. And I think in the next six months or so, it'll be very interesting to see if they fall just as hard or whether they actually now manage to hold a bit more of that level. Mm. I think if I was going to do it personally for me, the short answer would be I would have to commit to it. I'd have to say, okay, I'm going to go into this new area. This is the new area. And it's not just a single purchase. And I might, you know, I'm not talking about one year. I could be talking over a three, five more year period. Say, right, we will buy more than one property because for me, the level of, you know, time and resource investment to to make that one purchase should then facilitate me going, okay, I now want to build the relationships because that's how I work. Whether that would be feasible or not, I don't know. So in short, I'm not looking to move areas yet, but then I'm happy with the area in terms of cost. If that area went up by 20%, the area that I invested in already, then that's a new challenge. But then if, if this area, if my area went up by 20%, I'd imagine the whole UK would be a challenge to, to get to work. So, yeah, I, I know you have sort of provided these kinds of services for, for other people at times. But if you were going into a, a new area, would you consider using a, a property sourcer or a package or whatever that was local to that area to even just to sort of help get you started with the first property or so? Or would you always want to go in and do your own research and build your own sort of local team there? I think the property sourcer would have to be super professional and provide a very good service for what they did. And the reason I say that is because anyone that spent any time reviewing property stuff online 
can come across someone that calls themselves a property sourcer. And I've seen it with my own eyes, people punting properties on Facebook or LinkedIn that they say they've sourced, which has come directly from Rightmove, simply copying and pasting URL, calling themselves a sourcer and charging 5K for the privilege. And I think that does a real disservice to, and, and in some ways I would consider myself a property sourcer in many elements because as you say I've done that for other people and it included a lot of research due diligence on areas understanding local market rates making connections with local tradespeople, and building relationships with letting agents now if the what I would expect from a property sourcer is all of that in one and for me that that property sourcer could actually be you know, the estate agent uh, could be you know, someone, a letting agent on the ground that actually can say, because the biggest concern for any of us when we first start out is you don't want to make a mistake because the the level of the, the magnitude of the mistake feels, you know, quite large because of the, the monetary outlay. And, you know, so I always go into agents and say, I'm looking at a house in so-and-so street. And they might go, oh, that was... I always remember, you know, a couple of the houses I looked at, you know, someone said to me, it was a, it actually turned out to be a, a nunnery many years ago and unfortunately fell into disrepute. And, you know, the, the, the local crew found it and it uh, became quite a horrible place to be. Now, you wouldn't know that necessarily from the outside because it looks like a really nice old 18th century building. But the letting agent at the time said, you know, I wouldn't go near there, that building. So these are the things we don't want to make mistakes for. And also you want to get, you know, because for any of us, you, you want to get a, a good view on what's going to happen in the local vicinity. And I'm talking about a micro level. You know, we can all say Manchester looks great, but I've driven around Manchester quite a lot in the last 12 months now and I, and then got a sense for it. But so, so you want that experience from the person you're paying for. So. I, I'm not sure if that answers the question. It's probably a long-winded way of answering it, but I, I'd, I'd expect quite a lot. And if anyone were to use one, I'd make sure they write a list of all of the things that they expect. And it doesn't mean that you might, uh, it doesn't mean they have to find off-market deals because equally I can find deals on Rightmove, but I, because I know certain areas so well, I can say I can get, I'll get 5 to 7% off that price immediately. And certainly in the current market, I think a lot of what sources and packages are, are going to be able to bring to that if they know the area and potentially know the agents and, and know the boundaries on different properties is negotiation and being able to a- adjust for from the listing price to a actual realistic purchase price and then to be able to actually approach the agent and negotiate from one to the other. Yeah. And and if and if anyone were looking for a property as well, so I'd kind of want some of that to have happened as well, in terms of the negotiation, to at least say right we can we can agree this price. And it's funny because it, it might sound uh, contradictory, but I, I wouldn't necessarily be upset if a property source said to me, "Here's a property, and we've agreed the value on it, and it's kind of the market value." If all of the other things had come into play. Uh, you know, if, if they'd really followed the brief and they've done all of the work, then actually that's that's fine too. It's um, you know we got we get hung up with the below market value in in property circles, and I think sometimes to our own detriment, because as you and I say way too many times on this show, it's at the end of the day if the numbers work and it looks right, 
you can do the deal. It doesn't have to be BMV. Yes, indeed. And in a market that is falling, assuming we are in that market, whatever price you agree now, it's there's a good chance it's not going to be BMV. It might not even be the market price by the time you complete on it in three, four, five months' time when there's been that extra time of the market continuing to fall. Yeah. So, so yeah. Which you've just experienced. <laughs> yes. Thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> <laughs> you said it on the podcast previously. It's fine. Indeed. Indeed. Right. So on the happy note, then, I think we're probably out of time. <laughs> so it just remains for me to say thank you very much for listening. I, I hope you've in, enjoyed the, the bits and pieces about property market and where it's going or where it might be going and where it is currently at least if you have please do reach out to us give us a shout on at biz of property that's at biz of property on twitter and thank you very much to dan who has sent us a message recently we really do appreciate everyone who does get in touch and for show notes and anything else past episodes etc please do visit thebusinessofproperty.com and Stuart and i look forward to talking to you again next week